but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized in uh, Lake Minnetonka. I uh, hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. All right, everyone. Welcome back in here to another installment of the Minnesota Sports Podcast on this Monday, the 11th of October. It's a victory Monday for the Minnesota Vikings, but uh, probably about the uh, most dissatisfying victory Monday, I think, in a long time for Vikings fans. So to break it all down, we've brought back a podcast guest regular, Ian Rivers, to join us here. How's it going, Ian? Pretty good today, CJ. How are you? Doing uh, good, but I'd feel a little bit better if the Vikings uh, performed a little bit after that, uh, what was it, uh, 19-17 to 17 win yesterday against Detroit. Before we dive into stuff, what's your, uh, what's your gut level feeling? Are you panicking as much as some other people are about how close this game ended up being? Probably, but I, I think I was hitting the panic button uh, a little bit earlier than most. Uh, as some, some listeners might know, the Vikings are my second team. Um, so it, it's a little bit easier for me to, to look at it from the outside. Um, and I, I kind of curbed some of the expectations for this team before the season even started. But yeah, the way that game ended, that was uh, not quite how I was hoping it would have ended. I, I thought maybe we would handle it a little bit better. All right, and that brings us in here to our stock up, stock down. We do this every Monday after a Vikings game. We just talk about who, what, you know, who we feel has gone up over the last game and who we feel has gone down, just in terms of how we're feeling about them. Ian, it's your first time doing stock up, stock down. Are you ready to go? I think so. All right, let's do this. So I'll start off here. I'll give you one stock up and stock down, and then you'll give me one. And we'll go here with Eric Kendricks is my stock up for. Uh, this week, and it's a pretty safe bet because uh, that interception he had was amazing. He sniped that ball out of the air, just kind of caught it uh, by the tip of the ball there and did a really good job coming down with it. He just always continues to be in the right spot and making plays. You know, he took Chad Greenway's spot in the starting lineup all those years ago and still carries on kind of that spot that Greenway would have as you're that middle linebacker. You lead the team in tackles. You're everywhere on the ball making plays. Kendricks does lead the team with 47 tackles. That's also good for seventh in the NFL. Eric Kendricks, it's a pretty easy shoe-in stock up, but I'm going for it. And the stock down I'm going for here is the Vikings' run defense. They've given up 130 yards per game, which I think nets them in that 22-24th to in the league kind of range. And for a team that spent so much money trying to fix this defense and especially on the defensive line when you look at the additions of DJ Wan- or of the additions of excuse me of Sheldon Richardson, of Dalvin Tomlinson, of getting Michael Pierce back, and then having Everson Griffin come back, who's played well, but I'll get to him in a second. But just the amount of money that you put into that defensive front and and everything like that, the run defense has definitely been uh, a letdown and one of the parts of the team that's really been bad. I'm surprised Detroit didn't run the ball more than they did uh, against this Vikings team because they were having some pretty good success on it. So stock up, Eric Kendricks. Stock down, uh, the Vikings run defense. Any uh, any reactions to those? Well, Kendricks, yeah, it feels pretty obvious to me. I think he's probably one of the best, if not the best, interior linebacker in the NFL. And uh, as we saw last season, 
the Vikings without him for four or five games. Uh, it was really, really ugly. Um, so I agree with that one 100%. And I do agree with the run defense going stock down. Um, like you said, they spent a lot of money on this. And to be fair, I thought that maybe outside of Barr and Kendricks, uh, and Barr has underperformed a little bit this year, um, that our defensive line was maybe the strongest point of that defense. The secondary, obviously, probably a little bit improved from last year. Uh, but, you know, the defense entirely as a whole hasn't looked great. But the run defense, uh, they're giving up chunk plays, and it's really tough to watch. Uh, yeah, I thought that defensive line was going to be a lot better. All right, so hit me with your stock up and stock down. You can start with whichever one you want to first, but hit me with them. Well, these go hand in hand, and my stock up for the week is Alexander Madison. This guy carried the ball 25 times for 113 yards with a 4.5 average, and he's pretty good out of the backfield in terms of a receiver, too. Uh, and, and I think he had a really great game. I mean, how many times have we seen Dalvin Cook miss a game or leave a game early? And Alexander Madison comes in, and, you know, they've got the same hair. The jersey numbers look pretty similar. Sometimes you can't really tell who's in there. Uh, Alexander Madison has looked great. Um, and, like I said, they go hand-in-hand because my stock down is Dalvin Cook. Now, this is weird because it's not saying that Dalvin Cook is not a fantastic running back. I think he's top two, top three in the league. But everybody talks about the Cousins contract and how much is handicapping this team. And they're not talking quite as much about how much paying a running back might handicap this team, especially when you take him out of the game. And I'm sorry, what's what's the Vikings record when Dalvin Cook doesn't play? Because I believe both of their wins have come when Dalvin Cook hasn't been on the field. I think so, yeah. Um, and it, that's maybe not correlated, but when you pay a running back that much money, no, it's, it's tough because we weren't going to let Dalvin Cook play. And I agree we should pay him. But everybody harps on this Kirk Cousins contract and says that's the biggest issue. But we've got the Cousins contract alongside the Cook contract. And when Alexander Madison can come in and play this well, it kind of makes you wonder why we were willing to give up that much money to keep Cook around. I know why we were because he's a, he, he's been in Minnesota. He's a fantastic running back. But it just it's it's tough to look at sometimes with those running back contracts. But they're always tough. They're such big players. You can't just let them fall. Yeah, and Dalvin Cook has an average annual salary, average annual value, I should say, of $12.6 million. And yeah, for a running back, that is pretty spendy. And when you have a guy like Madison in the backfield, I think you're right in terms of Alexander Madison is a very good backup. Now, I know he had the fumble yesterday, and that was to give, that let Detroit take the lead in the fourth quarter. But even still, Alexander Madison... When he's been called to replace Dalvin Cook, he gives you the production, and he does, a, like you said, does a lot of the things Dalvin Cook has done. Even in the, You didn't mention this, but I know you probably were thinking of it. The screen game, Alexander Madison also does a great job. So does Dalvin Cook. And all, honestly, I'm surprised the Vikings don't give Madison more carries when Cook is in the lineup to keep Cook healthy throughout the season. When Dalvin Cook's healthy, he gets the ball 95% of the time. He should just get the ball more like 80% of the time and let Madison take some of those maybe third down carries or just some find some way to give Madison more carries because he is capable. Now, he's not as talented or good as Dalvin, but he's still capable when he's in and then can give Dalvin Cook that rest to where you're not banging up Dalvin Cook. So by the end of the year, he's always hurt. Well, exactly. And it's like we played the Cleveland Browns last week. And guess what? They do the same type of thing. Nick Chubb is a phenomenal running back probably top five in the NFL, but they have Kareem Hunt 
then they're not just going to say, oh, sorry, Kareem, Nick Chubb is a top five running back. We're only going to use him. Like you said, a guy with injury history like Dalvin Cook, maybe you want to lighten the workload. We get it. He is fantastic. He's an amazing running back. But you don't even have him out there right now because the workload might be too much for a guy with his you know, injury and, and history like that. So I agree 100%. We should be getting Madison more looks when Cook is healthy. All right, here's my last stock up, stock down here for you. Stock up is Everson Griffin. He's had four sacks in five games so far. He was thought to come in and be a rotational player, but he's now stepping up and taking a lot of those snaps. And at first you think maybe it's because Mike Zimmer favors Everson Griffin, but I think it's just been DJ Wanham and Steven Weatherly just have not performed so far this year. And every time you see a guy come in on the other side of Daniel Hunter, it is Everson Griffin. I think DJ Wanham just got his first sack of the season yesterday, and he won the starting job, I believe, coming out of camp. So, I mean, Everson Griffin has done a good job working his way back in. He, again, four sacks in five games so far. He only had six sacks all of last season. So he's doing a great job of coming in and Daniel Hunter having another great year. He reaps the benefits of not having the strong, uh, not having as much of the attention brought over to his side. He He's a veteran. He knows the moves. He knows how to do it. And he's been performing well so far. And we know we've talked about how bad the defensive line has been in run coverage, but they've been able to hold their own, at least in passing, in pass rush, I should say, as well. So if they could tighten up on the run defense, that defensive line does look a lot better. But Everson Griffin's been uh, making that defensive line look really good and making us forget all about how uh, how weird it was bringing Everson Griffin back just a couple months ago. So that's my stock up. Stock down has to be Mike Zimmer's future in Minnesota. That loss, if they would have lost yesterday to Detroit, that, I mean, the Vikings probably wouldn't have done it. But for other franchises, he would have been fired after that game. You go 1-4, and four, you lose to a winless Detroit team, and you blow it at home, doing it the way you did. There were several chances to win that game. And we'll get into that kind of in a second. I don't want to make it all about this because we'll have a chance to talk about it more outside of this segment. But... It's going to look, it just looks like this is Mike Zimmer's last year in Minnesota, no matter if they miss the playoffs, if they make the playoffs. And I love Zimmer, so I don't want this to be an anti Zimmer thing. I think he's a great, I think he's the third best head coach in franchise history behind Bud Grant and Deddy Green in that order. But based on the way it's going, you just might be kind of stuck in a rut, and it might be time to go in a different direction if they can't really turn this thing around fast. And a loss. And a, a game that almost was lost yesterday showed that. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, with, with both of those. Uh, like you said, Everson Griffin has been a pleasant surprise. I don't think we expected quite this much production out of him when we brought him back. Um, but he's been fantastic uh, in terms of pass rush, at least. And then, like you said, Zimmer, I mean, some of the situational stuff, it's always been a question. And, and games like this, that's, it could have very well cost his job if the Vikings wouldn't have been able to pull that out yesterday. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I completely agree with both of those. All right, and uh, one last thing. So when they kicked the winning field goal, and we'll get into your stock up, stock down in a second. When they kicked that field goal and it went in, did you see the video of uh, Cousins going up to embrace Zimmer after the game? I did. I thought that was very odd. I thought it looked like those two were about to fight each other in the parking lot. <laughs> it did. Like, Zimmer looked angry. Like, I... I get it was probably from Kirk more of a, like, hell yeah, we did it. Like, we pulled this off. Like, that's awesome. Apparently, uh, was like, I'm about 
to swing on you, man. <laughs> Apparently, Kirk Cousins said he hit him with a you like that after the game because, of course, he did. Of course he did. So I think that – I don't think there was anything of it, by the way. I'm not trying to make anything there that's not. I just think it was, yeah, like Kirk is a very awkward guy and Zimmer was probably caught off guard. So they both just kind of look weird. But the thing that capped it off was Patrick Peterson at the end coming in to like high-five Zimmer but also was kind of like, am I trying to break up a fight right now? <laughs> yeah, that was it, was it was a weird altercation. All right, so now let's get into your stock up, stock down here. Well, for my second stock up, I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson. Now, it might be weird because his stock is already pretty dang high. But, you know, some rookies, you say, oh, well, he just there wasn't that much tape on him. And people will start to, you know, everybody was focused more on dealing last year. I mean, Justin Jefferson, he's come in and silenced any doubter that said, no, there's going to be a second-year slump. He's still performing at a top level. It's just it's amazing to watch him work downfield. He, he can do it all. He's a great route runner. Um, he can do the inside stuff. And then you can send him deep, and he's got tremendous speed to take the top off. He does it all, and I think that his stock is only getting better. I wouldn't say he's quite a top 10 receiver yet. He's he's borderline top 10. There's so many good receivers in the NFL right now. Yeah. Um, but give him a couple more years, maybe even at the end of this year, mid-next year, he's going to be in that top 10 category for sure. I saw a few Vikings fans uh, on Twitter, and I shouldn't be basing my stuff off this because I'm going to want to jump out, out a window. But I saw some people who are very cool, purple Kool-Aid drinking Vikings fans that were going on Twitter just going around saying that Jefferson is better than Diggs. And I'm like, I'm not going to go that far yet. Jefferson's only been in the league a year and a quarter. Stefan Diggs has been a proven vet. I'm not going to – I know that they're trying to justify that they don't need Stefan Diggs. But, just, you know, we talked about it last year. If they don't draft Justin Jefferson, we probably get a lot more mad at the Stefan Diggs trade. Absolutely. You let a guy like Diggs walk out the door – and I think we were all pretty upset about it. And then Justin Jefferson, week three came along, and we're like, all right, this might be okay. Settle down. But for my uh, stock down, I'm going to say the Vikings playoff chances. Now, I know that's, again, a little bit strange because we won. That means our playoff chances should get higher. But when you look at the schedule the Vikings have, they have the Panthers next week. And I think that's pretty easy. We should be able to win that one. Uh, the Panthers kind of looked a little fraudulent yesterday, blowing that lead against the Eagles team that I think is pretty suspect. But then you've got games out of the bye week against Dallas, Baltimore, the Chargers, and the Packers. And that's that's a really tough stretch of four games right there. The Cowboys look legit. Trayvon Diggs has six picks in five games. The Ravens are pretty good. They've looked a little sketchy, but... I do think their their running game will give the Vikings fits. The Chargers, I, at this point, I'm sold on them. I wasn't as of a couple weeks ago, but their their offense is playing as well as anybody else's. And then the Packers, the, the Packers could be terrible, and they'd still probably give the Vikings fits. Now, granted, we have had some games like last season in Lambeau was kind of an anomaly how we beat them that badly, but. It's a tough stretch of four games, and then you got a couple breaks against the Niners and the Lions. But it's going to be tough, tough sledding, especially when we struggle to put teams away like Detroit. Now, I will say the Vikings are right there. We could very easily be 4-1. The Cardinals game came down to that missed kick. The Bengals game, probably not a fumble by Dalvin Cook. 
probably would have made a difference in that one. We probably should have beat the Bengals as well. So we are right there. We have a very talented roster. But the inability right now in those close games, uh, as a Chargers fan, that's something I've become very accustomed to over the last two seasons. Uh, inability to, to win those close games 100% of the time, or at least 90% of the time, does come back to bite you at the end of the season. Well, and let's not forget, too, it came back to bite the Vikings last year, too, because they couldn't finish out against Tennessee. They couldn't finish out the game against Dallas. They couldn't finish out a game against Chicago. Like, all these kind of losses did come back to bite the Vikings, too, last season. And, yeah, I think that, like you said, this schedule does not get easy after the bye week. There is a chance to make the playoffs, but it's it's very outside shot. And, honestly, for the Vikings, making the playoffs I don't think is going to please the Wilfs unless you make the playoffs and win a game. I think getting in as a Chicago Bears last year, 8-8, eight and eight, or I guess 9-8 and eight or whatever it's going to be this year, 8-9 and nine maybe, sneaking into the wildcard game and losing, I don't think that's going to be enough for the Wilfs to say, we didn't spend all this money to lose in the wildcard game. We spent this much money to be competitive in the playoffs. And I think that that could end up, that's what I think the final dagger in Zimmer's coffin is going to be. It's like, look, your teams aren't bad but we just can't get to that next level that we did a few years ago, and we don't think we can get back there with you as the head coach, and I think that's what's going to officially be what does it. Yeah, I agree. I think Zimmer is kind of in trouble right now. A 2-3 and three start, this game against the Panthers is probably must win because if you go 2-4 and four out of the bye week and you've got those four games on your slate, it's going to be tough sledding. You could very well end up in a bad spot if you don't win this game against the Panthers. Yeah, and I've been, since the Vikings kind of started 0-2, I was like, look, if you can get to 3-3 and by the bye week, everything is going to be fine. Um, and in terms of, like, your season isn't over, you haven't buried yourselves like they buried themselves last season. Um, but, yeah, it's still tough sledding ahead for them and for what their schedule is going to look like. And I think at 49ers, I don't know if Trey Lance or if Garoppolo is going to be starting by that point, but just remember that, one, rookie mobile quarterbacks have kind of given Zimmer fits a little bit, and also the last time the Vikings played the 49er defense, they just had no answers for him. So that's the thing. That's, I mean, there's, besides maybe the Lions, Bears, I mean, there's maybe the Steelers, but that one's a Thursday night game. There's a lot of question marks on your schedule. There's team. There's winnable games, but there's... There's not a lot of games where you say, like, oh, we can beat them, we can do this, we can do that. You're going to have to get some big boy wins, and especially, like you said, in that four- to five-game stretch. So let's finish up our Vikings talk here, and I just want to talk about the Zimmer thing quick because I called it over the weekend. I said, you know, I said on the Friday podcast, uh, this game feels kind of like a trap game, and it feels like one that the Vikings are going to win, but they're going to win narrowly, and we're going to all at the end of the game be like, why was this game so close? This shouldn't have been close against Detroit. Now, I know a win is a win in the NFL, and any given Sunday, any team can beat anybody. You know, I'm, I'm not saying anybody should be fired after this performance, but it was really close there for a second, and it's the conservative nature of Zimmer going into games like this. The thing that made me really upset was that halftime, when they had four, or right before the half, there were 45 seconds on the clock. The Vikings, or the the Lions just got a field goal, so the Vikings were up 13 to 6. The Vikings were going to get the ball back at the half. And in Zimmer's mind, he's like, this is perfect. Let's run out the clock. Let's go to halftime. We're going to get the ball back, and we'll score there, and we'll put the game away. And my thought is, Justin Jefferson has been cooking this defense all game long. Would try and go deep to him, or maybe 
you know, like they did in the final drive, they're going to be so busy on Jefferson, Thielen's going to find some space. You have two timeouts. Push the field. At least try. The Lions, if you punt it to them, aren't going to do anything. And you get the ball back to start the half. That's what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady used to do for years and years was get a score at the end of the half, get the ball back, score again. That's a 14 to 10 point swing that you have there. And they blew it and they got the ball back and they went three and out and punted. So it's stuff like that and just everything that they've kind of done so far in terms of that. The Vikings have been terrible at closing out halves for the most part this season. So yeah, I think it's just I think some of Zimmer's stuff that I've kind of let slide because the teams have been okay and they've kind of gotten away with it is stuff that really is starting to show now. Well, and something that a lot of sports fans, it's not just Minnesotans, it's everyone, Zimmer led us to an NFC championship game. And that is the furthest the Vikings, and to be honest, most sports teams in Minnesota have been in a long time uh, outside of the Minnesota Lynx. And so... It, it really is, you don't want to turn your back on a guy whose defense got you all the way there. And, and, and but, but yeah, there's the situational stuff. You brought up the end of the half yesterday. And I remember a couple of years ago, we were playing New Orleans. Um, I believe it was 2019. Um, and we were at home. I don't remember exactly the situation, but we had just thrown a pick six, maybe, that went off Diggs' hands. Um, and went the other way, and we had a, like, we got the ball back, whatever the situation was, we got the ball back for, like, a minute, 20 seconds or something like that. It was, like, a ridiculous amount of time. I think we had one or two timeouts, and we didn't even try to push the ball downfield at all. And, and I'm like, you just lost a bunch of momentum. I get you don't want to make another mistake going into halftime, but... I think we got the ball. It was Zimmer in some of these situations. He's 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 very stressful to watch as a fan because you're like you watch all of these teams be super aggressive, and then you that's the one knock I've had on Zimmer is his lack of aggression in certain situations. Um, and I think it ends up costing the Vikings sometimes. And and maybe had we been more aggressive at the end of the first half, we wouldn't be in a situation where we had to kick a 54 yard field goal to win the game yesterday. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is Mike Zimmer, his best coaching moves were when he's been aggressive. That's the weird thing about it. Zimmer, I remember you're talking about that New Orleans game from a few years ago. And, yeah, you're right. Like, he was indecisive in that game, but he made something – he made a call very early in that game to go for it on fourth down and get the touchdown, and they got it. And everybody's like, that's a good move. Fourth down against a tough team like the Saints, you need to go for the touchdowns. You're not going to win with field goals. Good call, Zimmer. and. It's been other things, too. A couple years ago against Detroit, it kind of turned into a shootout. Mike Zimmer could have ran out the clock in the fourth quarter. Thielen throws a deep bomb to Diggs, flips the field. They end up getting a touchdown on the drive and just cemented away by just getting an extra score. And it's stuff like that. Zimmer usually is pretty good on going for it on fourth down, but it's it's he's good when he's aggressive. And that's what, what you're saying is it's so frustrating that he's not more aggressive because he's not incapable of Exactly. And I think that's it, – it reminded me, and I brought this up on the podcast last week too, of P.J. Fleck kind of against non-conference teams. They play – they just are like, well, we don't need to get too complicated. Let's just run a lot. Let's be very conservative. Our defense is going to win it for us. We're going to just run the ball, kill the clock. 
all that good stuff. And it's all fun and games until you have a team that dares you to make a play, and then you end up losing to Bowling Green. And in the Vikings' case, it was almost losing to the Lions. So it's all smart football, and look at me, I'm the coach, I'm thinking ahead to, you know, not to not have a tough game plan and to shrink the playbook and all that kind of stuff. But when you almost lose or you do lose in embarrassing fashion, everybody looks at you and says, why weren't you even just a pinch more aggressive? Well, and a lot of times I think coaching not to lose, I mean, okay, again, I'll bring up the Chargers because Anthony Lynn coached not to lose games. They were up so many times in the second half last year, and he's like, all right, we're going to put the ball in Eckler's hands, we're going to run the ball. They lost three or four games where they were they had like a 14-point lead at one point. And I think we saw that from Stefanski yesterday. It rubbed off on him. It must have. Uh, I don't know how much you followed the game script for that game, but when the Chargers scored and had an opportunity to tie it at 42, and Viscano, uh, he missed the extra point. And I'm like, no way. Not like this. And I think if he makes that extra point and ties the game, the Browns win that game. Because then they know they need to score again, and they were torching the Chargers' defense all game. But once they were, they were like, oh, we're winning and, and Stefanski's like, uh, I don't want to make a mistake. I'm going to take the ball out of Baker's hands. We're going to run it on third and ten. And it ended up costing the game. You've got to be aggressive. And I'm not saying, like, okay, we got fourth and 14. We're on our own 40-yard line. You know what? Let's go for it. I'm not saying that aggressive. I'm just saying there's situations. And if it's a toss-up 50-50, you don't know what to do, be aggressive. Exactly. And I think the NFL is moving towards that way anyways. I don't think, you know, if this was 20 years ago, I don't think we're having this conversation as much as we are, but the NFL has just moved to be more aggressive. You have people who are in the bo- who are in the booths up in the coaching uh, boxes, and they're sitting there. Their whole job is to look at the probability of if I go for it versus if I don't, and if I do this and that. It's no longer a gut level feeling. They have people whose sole job it is to break down every situation, buzz into you know Sean Payton's ear or Mike McCarthy's ear. Or, Matt LaFleur's whatever coach and say, hey, look, here's the situation. You know, we have, if we get this first down, our win probability goes up to 89%. And if we just kick, if we punt the ball or we kick the field goal, it doesn't really do us any good. And you've seen coaches who are not conservative the last few years get burned on it. And yeah, I think the league is just moving in a way where you have to be more aggressive. And yeah, I think you're completely right. You just need to be more aggressive more often than not in these situations. And the last thing I want to touch on with the Vikings here, and then we'll move on to the wild is Mike Zimmer's defenses. And we kind of touched on how bad they've been this year, or at least just not up to snuff or up to the Mike Zimmer level. They've been probably middle of the pack. I'd say based on my gut level estimate, because their pass defense is made up for the run defense a little bit, not much, but enough to get them kind of in that middle of the pack kind of range. But I talked about it a little bit last week. And I want to know your thoughts on this. I think Zimmer tried to buy a good defense and in the NFL buy it's not the NBA you can't buy your team because Zimmer's first defense in 2017 remember it took years like of going back to the 2012 draft of getting Harrison Smith the 2013 draft of Xavier Rhodes the 2014 you got Anthony Barr 2015 you got Eric Kendricks and Trey Waynes and you know just loading up there were a couple free agents on that team Terrence Newman Linval Joseph you know, all that kind of stuff. Daniil Hunter was also a 2015 draft pick. But it took Zimmer a few years, and even it took Spielman a couple years before Zimmer to really get all the pieces in place for a 2017-level defense. And because Zimmer's back is against the wall, he doesn't have another two to three years to rebuild the defense. He tried to buy a defense 
last or this offseason because the Vikings, I don't know if it was Spielman or Zimmer or the ownership or whoever, said in 2020, you have to compete. And then they went 7-9, and nine, and everybody thought that they were on the doorstep of competing again. And I think when 2020 hit and all those defensive starters left, they should have hit a hard reset on the defense. And instead they tried to get fancy. They tried to just cut corners. I think this is... I think, honestly, it's kind of the fruit that they're bearing from kind of getting a little bit lazier, trying to go the easy route to put a defense together. You are absolutely right about that. And, and the point you made about Zimmer's back being against the wall and the voices getting a little bit louder saying, hey, man, you got to be better this year or else we're going we're gonna to kick you on the street. That absolutely has something to do with it. Because like you said, this team, you know, once Zimmer came in, we started to get those pieces, and our defense started improving, and we could just tell. Like, everyone's, everyone's like, yeah, the Vikings have a really scary good defense, and then all of a sudden, all of it comes into fruition that 2017 year. Everybody on defense is able to stay healthy, and everything's clicking, and that's what we were building that for was that defense. Um, and then, like you said, right now, he's just trying to – He's trying to, he's coaching not to lose his job. He's desperate. He's not thinking about the future, which, I mean, I get it because it's the same thing Matt Nagy's doing in Chicago. That's why he started Andy Dalton. He thought Andy Dalton gave him the best chance to win games now, even though Justin Fields getting him the reps might have been a better thing for the Bears organization. And then obviously Dalton's injury kind of forced his hand. But uh, coaches that are on the hot seat, they're going to react differently than a coach that. You know, you might want to you might want to go a different direction, but I, I agree. They tried to buy their way into a good defense, and they didn't have enough money uh, where it was really going to ever be super successful. Yeah, and another thing too, I don't want to put all the pressure on Zimmer Spielman. Also, you know, he's the one who greenlit the signings, and he's the one who whose back is also on the wall. There's a good chance Zimmer and Spielman are both gone if they don't make the playoffs, and the Wolves just clean house. And that's the thing. They're both desperate for their jobs, and they make desperate decisions. And the funny part of it is the organization wants to give them the benefit of the doubt, but most of the time in these situations, they just make worse organizations that keep crippling the organization for a couple more years instead of doing a clean break. You know, And I think the Vikings have a lot of one- to two-year deals with the they made on defense, so I guess it's not that bad. But, you know, again, it's things that could just – Further mess up the organization a little bit. But last thing I want to add, Christian Derrissaw made his debut as well. So he didn't look bad. And then they put him in for a series. They scored a touchdown. They put in Rashad Hill because I think they're trying to slowly ramp him up because, remember, he didn't get a lot of preseason. And uh, he didn't get any preseason, and he got barely any training camp snaps. And they put Rashad Hill back in the game. And the very next play, Cousins gets sacked. Rashad Hill literally was on his knees within, like, two seconds, on his face, on the turf. And I, I said last week you need to bring in Derrissaw slowly. I think you might need to start Derrissaw now. Yeah, I was wondering how Derrissaw looked. I got caught up at work. We had some people call in. Ended up not getting home until after the Vikings game finished. Um, but it's and, and that kind of goes back to Spielman. And, and like you said, we've got a couple draft picks that have kind of turned. It's like, okay, Spielman, you got JJ. You got Justin Jefferson. But outside of Jefferson... What's the last really good draft pick that the Vikings have made that has come in and helped the franchise almost instantaneously or, like, at least within his first couple seasons? Well, exactly. Real struggle. And that's the problem is they draft – Spielman always wants to draft, like, 10 to 12 players every year. 
well, you keep taking the seventh-round picks, and, yeah, you get quantity over quality, but then what happens when all of them are bad, and, yeah, you're just kind of stuck in that position. And even Zimmer pointed to it in the preseason or early in the season. It's like, look, we're trying to get a winning team out here, but when our draft picks, the guys we pick high, don't produce, you know, it turns out well, and it doesn't turn out well. And keep in mind, Zimmer probably had more to say on the Jeff Gladney pick than Spielman did. But still, both of them went into that decision together. It's just things just aren't clicking like they were. Spielman needed about a 2015 draft class, the one that brought in Diggs and Hunter and Kendricks and Waynes and all that kind of stuff. That's a once-in-a-lifetime draft class. Yeah, and, and it's, been, it's been few and far between since that draft class. We've gotten a couple guys here and there. Uh, some people, and, and that's the thing, you romanticize with the, the Justin Jefferson finding that player and being like, yeah, this is a, like, obviously, we didn't want Nelson Aguilar, well, not Nelson Jalen Rager, go ahead and take him, but overall, I do think Spielman is just as much to uh, blame, especially on the offensive line. I mean, if Derisaw turns out to be even okay, that might be the best offensive line draft pick that we've, like, ever had. I would say Brian O'Neill, but yeah, exactly. Brian O'Neill, yeah, Brian O'Neill, but still, we've drafted quite a few offensive linemen, and the success rate's been pretty, pretty abysmal. Yeah, exactly. And that's some stuff that, yeah, Spielman has always struggled with, even before Zimmer got here. So, yeah, it, that's definitely been a Spielman thing. And, yeah, it's it's just going to be interesting to see how this team goes the rest of the way forward. Like you said, I think they have a chance to win against Carolina. So we'll see what happens with that as the season goes on. But now moving on to the second part of the podcast here, um, we're just going to talk about the Wild for the rest of it because uh, – you're more in. You're more kind of into the. You've been following the wild longer than I have, so I want to get your take on the final roster has been made. No Boldy, no Rossi, no uh, Beckman. Just how do you feel about this roster going into the first game? I think it's on Friday against uh, Anaheim. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I, I would warn people to curb their expectations because I think that a lot of people in Minnesota right now. As soon as we got Kaprizov back, they're like, all right, we're contenders. I don't know that we're there yet. We're going to be around the same area that we were this season. We're going to be fighting for the top of our division, but we're in a tough division with teams like Colorado. St. Louis is still going to be competitive. So you got to kind of curb your expectations because if you're coming and expecting us to be the best in the Central right away, you're going you're gonna to struggle and you're going to figure out pretty quick that that's not – um, that's not going to be the case. We're going to have to take these first two to three weeks and really set our expectations after that. But in terms of the roster, you said um, no Boldy. Well, Boldy, I think he stayed up. Uh, they're, they're probably going to keep him up and down and move him around. But the injury to him being out four to six weeks, that'll be something to monitor. Um, and we'll see how long that lasts. It lingers afterwards. But uh, Rossi going down, I have no issue with, especially right now. Um, but um, I do, the, the Beckman thing, I, I thought they should have given Beckman a roster spot. Um, I don't know exactly who they probably would have thrown down in place of him, but he played really well in the preseason and he had a pretty good training. Um, training camp as well. So I was a little disappointed to see that, that most of the youngsters got thrown down uh, to Iowa, but I do like the roster. I think we'll have a pretty good first line uh, with Jules Eric Snack, Kirill Caprice, Matt Zuccarello, 
Um, I think it's going to be a lot of the same from last year. There'll just be a couple different pieces. The defense is really what you're going to have to watch because we lost Suter and um, then we lost uh, Carson Susie in the expansion draft to Seattle. So the top pairing is probably likely going to be Goligoski, Spurgeon, and then Dumba and Brodeen. That second line, I don't love Dumba's defensive capabilities. Brodeen is okay. It's going to be a very offensive-minded second line uh, on defense, so that'll be something to watch out for. And then the goaltenders, Cam Talbot, Captain Gackin, um that goaltending duo, probably still going to be a pretty, pretty dang good uh, combination to have in the net. So I, I do think this is a playoff team. Um, I think we should be shocked if they don't make the playoffs. Um, and I think they'll be competitive in terms of at least staying towards the top of the conference and keeping teams like Colorado in check uh, when we play them. Yeah, and like you said, the defense is looking a lot different this year. There is no Ryan Suter anymore. There's no Zach Parisi anymore as well. It's just a different team. And obviously, you know, we talked about it a lot when they got cut, that their impact on the locker room and all that kind of stuff was a big reason why that the Wild just said, get out of here. Um, but do you think that with this locker room now, I don't, you know, obviously Spurgeon probably takes the role as like the leader because he's the captain and, and all that kind of stuff. But do you think that the locker room being better and that just now kind of turning it over to the young core with Kaprizov and all that, do you think that that's going to that's going to give the Wild a couple games or maybe avoid kind of those very low stretches that the past teams have always kind of seemed to get, like where they just went so low where everybody keeps talks about blowing it up? Because we've already kind of been through that, and now we've got the young players. And so there'll still be stretches throughout a season, maybe, where we we drop two out of three games, maybe to like teams like Anaheim or L.A. that you really are like, why did, why did we just turn around from beating Colorado and now we just lost to the Kings 5-1? to one? Um, But it comes with having a young team, but I think we've got enough, like, Erickson Eck now at this point's been around. Greenway's been around. So all these young guys that we've had, and then guys like Zuccarello and Hartman um, and Marcus Blino, we've got enough leadership on the team where I think it'll kind of even out those lows. Um, but the Wild are going to be very, very, very dependent on guys like Matt Boldy, Marco Rossi, and uh, I believe it's Adam Beckman. Um, yeah. Young guys coming in on young contracts, small contracts, because until we get the money off the table for Parisian Suter, we're going to be reliant and hopeful that some guys that are cheap like that, the youngsters, can come in and produce. Um, and I'm really excited. That's probably one of the things I'm most excited about this year because we will be seeing Boldy, Rossi, and most likely Beckman at some point this season. I'm really excited to see what they can do. Yeah, and out of those three, which one do you think makes the most immediate impact this season? I would say, well, it is tough because Boldy is the easy answer for me, but the injury, we might see somebody else before him. But I think Boldy is the most likely one to come up once he's healthy. Um, in terms of, and I guess it depends a little bit on, like, oh, you know, if there's an injury, who gets injured and who's the best replacement for them and where can we fit him in on a, on a line that's not going to throw off the balance too much. Uh, but I, I would go with Boldy probably being the best pick if you had to pick someone to, to make an immediate impact on the roster. He did pretty dang well in Iowa last year after his season in, in D.C. finished up 
So I, I like Boldy. I think he's going to come up, and I think he's going to be pretty good. How good is to be determined, and hopefully it's it's uh it's up there. And are you concerned at all with that injury? I know I I know hockey injuries are a little bit different, but with a broken ankle and just kind of the rehab it takes with that, and then coming back and being able to skate and do all that kind of stuff. Do you think that it's going to like obviously it's going to take him four to six weeks to get up here, but do you think you know with the rehab? Do you think they kind of rehab him and just slow cook his way up here? Or do you think once he feels good, they're going to throw him in? I do think they're going to rehab him. It's kind of going to be a little bit of the what we've been going through with the Minnesota Twins and some of their prospects lately. I think we're going to everybody's going to be begging like, "Where's Boldy? Oh, we've had an injury. Throw Rossi up in here. Like, let's get to see these young guys." Um, especially like if the, if one specific line has a bad game, you'll probably see a bunch of people on Twitter be like, "Well, if Marco Rossi was there, like, whereas Boldy was up, we wouldn't have seen this happen." Um, but um, yeah, I'm not too concerned about the injury. They happen. Um, we'll probably see him get rehabbed. I'm guessing towards the middle of the season, we'll probably see him come up um, for a couple games, regardless of how things are going with the Wild. Um, but especially if they need like some life pumped into the into the roster, we might see uh, some lines get switched up to get guys that are a little bit younger and more exciting in there. And looking at the goaltending here uh, with Cam Talbot, he had a really, really good season last year. Um, now that he's now the Wild are back in the Central, they're back in you know playing teams like the Blues, like the Jets, all that kind of stuff. Are you concerned at all? Maybe kind of a little bit of a regression for Talbot in the goalie, and I guess with Kaprizov too. Now that he's got his uh, second season coming up. Um, Kaprizov, I'm a little bit more worried about regression than I am with. Talbot. I think Talbot proved, especially in the playoffs last year, that he can he can compete. And I don't necessarily think that going from the West into the Central is a bad thing. Because I think the West it was really top heavy last year. Um, so the bottom teams in the West last year were really bad, and so it's kind of hard to judge. But we did have three of the best teams in the NHL, I think, in terms of, uh, or at least Colorado and and uh, Vegas, and then us kind of a little bit lower tier, but we had to compete against those guys quite often last year, and I think that that's something that, you know, getting out of Vegas is division, not having to worry about that quite as much. Like you said, Chicago will be there, but Chicago, they're kind of in a little bit of a lull right now. But I, I do think um, Kaprizov, I'm not too concerned about it. I don't think he's going to have a major um, like dip in production. Um, but it's, it's, the only concern is that you're paying him $9 million a year, at least on average, and he's only played 55 games for you. So it's always going to be a little a little skeptical uh, when a guy's not even played a full season of hockey in terms of, well, last year, well, not generally 55 games isn't a full roster season. So it, it, it's going to be something to watch out for. Hopefully he keeps his production level up. Um, I, he had a pretty, pretty dang good uh, – preseason game a couple nights ago. I think he got like three points. So I'm not too concerned about either of them. Um, but if I had to pick one over the other, Kreisov would be the one to watch out for. All right. And finishing up here, do you have any other wild takes you want to get out there? Some you had written down that you all want to make sure you say. Um, I think this top line is going to be really good offensively. Like I think last year, the, the main thing we struggled with was trying to find the best combination of players to put 
on one line. And now they've switched it and they put Joel Erickson on the top line with Kaprizov and Zuccarello. I think that's going to work out just better. Um, it, it's not going to be quite as balanced because putting Erickson with Greenway and Polino last year, it helped balance out some of where the offense was coming from. But you look at a lot of these teams, um, like Edmonton, they really only have one or two lines that are worth anything. Um, and that's what counts come playoff time. And that's why teams like Colorado and Vegas have such success because their top lines are a lot, they're a little bit more top heavy than, than the bottom two and maybe the second. So I think having a really explosive top line like this, like I think we'll have this year, is, is something that's going to benefit us. But obviously it might not be the top line uh, for long. If, if it doesn't work out, they'll probably switch things back forward. Um, I think that's one thing Everson did really well last year is tinker with lines, especially when we started to struggle. Um, so I, I think we're in good hands, and I think that it'll be another fun season of hockey to watch for the Minnesota fans. All right, and uh, only because that was your incentive for coming on to the podcast here, I'm going to give you one uh, quick second to uh, talk about the AFC West. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I was looking at the standings this morning, and, I mean, Kansas City has played probably the top three teams. Their three losses have come to, I think many people would consider the top three teams in the AFC right now uh, in terms of Baltimore, uh, Buffalo, and Los Angeles. Um, and I think there's real concern for Kansas City. Like, their defense cannot stop anybody. They they struggle to stop Philadelphia, who I think their offense is, is not great. Um, and people kind of romanticize with Holmes, and they've been to the AFC Championship game three straight years. They've been to two straight Super Bowls. But they don't really have a great team. I'm not saying they're not going to be competitive. They're going to be there. They're, they're going to be a playoff team, I guarantee you. Um, but I think this, this division is, is the Chargers to lose. I mean, we're talking about the Vikings schedule, and it gets harder. And the Chargers schedule, this might this game against the Ravens might be their toughest game for the rest of the season. They've got the Patriots, Eagles, Vikings, no offense, Steelers, Broncos, Bengals, Giants, the Chiefs again. Texans, Broncos, Raiders. There's not a whole lot there that really scares me at this point as a Chargers fan. We've already we've gone through Dallas and we're a couple silly penalties away from being five and zero because that Dallas game we kind of threw away. We've beaten a good team in Cleveland. If if they can compete with Baltimore, I don't know if they will. I will predict a Baltimore victory in this game. But after that, they're they're not going to win all of these games. It just doesn't happen. Um, but the Chargers, man, they look good. And uh, I kind of could tell, you know, everybody's like, oh, is it the NFC West or is it the AFC West that's the best in football? Because the Broncos were 3-0 and the Raiders were 3-0. The Raiders were always bound to fall off. They do this every year. They get off to a hot start. They beat a good team. Last year it was the Chiefs. This year it was Baltimore. And everybody's like, wow, the Raiders are really good. And now they just lost to the Bears in embarrassing fashion yesterday. And Denver, they are just terrible. No offense to Vikings fans, Teddy Bridgewater is not going to bring that team over the top. Their defense is not as good as people thought they were going to be. They're still a top probably five or six defense in the league, but if your offense can't put up points, it's not going to matter. Um, and they just got embarrassed by a pretty embarrassing Steelers team. So I, 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 four and one for the Bulls far and away better than I thought the start of the season was going to be. I thought we were going to have to try to climb our way back into the playoff picture at the tail end of the season as the schedule is eased up. 
Um, but I'm really excited for this team. Um, and we talked about aggressive coaching. Um, I don't know how many Chargers games he's got the opportunity to watch. Brandon Staley, this guy, they've gone for it at least twice a game on fourth down in big spots. They're constantly, like, constantly going forward on fourth down. The aggression has paid off, and that's why that's a big part of why they're forward. Just another Sean McVay assistant getting hired and uh, doing well because you got him. You have uh, what's Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. Uh, you got the Matt Lafleur. I think he was a part of that coaching tree a little bit. Either way, still uh, yeah. been a pretty good uh, season for the Chargers so far, which makes Ian happy, which allows him to come on this podcast uh, here today. Thanks for joining us, talking about uh, Minnesota sports. And as stuff gets going, we'll have to bring you on again to keep talking about all the Viking stuff because I guarantee you it's only going to get crazier from here. Absolutely. I'm always happy to help out. All right, thanks for joining. We'll uh, talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.